E eu sou o Thiago Indrigo Souza da Silva, sou marceneiro e estou em São Paulo, Brasil. Welcome to Cut the Craft. I want that giant Welcome to Cut the Craft, everybody. I'm Brian. And I'm Amy. Eu sou o Thiago. Welcome to Cut the Craft. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Thiago! Hey, guys. <laughs> Want to hear my full name? Yes. It, it's uh, Thiago Indrigo Souza da Silva. Oh, I that is the coolest it. name ever. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> That's, so I don't good. know about you, Amy, but I immediately was taken to like watching the sun go down on the ocean. <laughs> that was like what your name made me think of. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah that... <laughs> um, so I guess we should probably tell everyone the format we were thinking about for this podcast. Yeah. So we are planning on mixing it up a little bit this week. We are going to have. Uh, sort of a dueling interview, I suppose, where mm -hmm. we have many questions for uh, Chiago, who is a woodworker working out of Sao Paulo. And mm -hmm. uh, then, Chiago, you have some questions for us, right? I do, yeah. I actually invited you for an Instagram Live, and mm -hmm. you, uh, uh, you you gently said no by inviting me to this awesome podcast. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm honored to be here. Thanks so much. Yeah. It's going to be so fun. I It's always, I don't know. It just feels exciting to have someone ask questions back because it's it's a little bit different. And I think it's kind of a nice thing to do since it's the holidays and stuff. So Yeah. It just, yeah. You, and you, you won't have a boring episode with just me talking. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, yeah. And I think... We should also start maybe with a question for you, uh, mm -hmm. because people probably know far too much about Amy and I by now. Mm. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. no, no, not in Brazil. I'm promoting you guys. Okay. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> okay so, uh, Thiago, can you tell us um, what you make and a little bit about that work and your process, how that all works out for you? Sure. Yeah. So I'm. I'm. I'm uh, well, my name is uh, Thiago, and I am in São Paulo, Brazil, and I am primarily a woodworker. Uh, mm -hmm. I am passionate about traditional crafts, uh, but uh, most of the time I'm, I'm working wood, and I'm making uh, furniture, I'm making uh, hand planes. I'm a plane maker, and I also uh, get to teach uh, a lot. Uh, I teach uh, kids and adults how to work wood using hand tools most of the time. Cool. <laughs> I started working wood making guitars, uh, <laughs> electric guitars. Uh, I had a, a, cool. a friend who's a guitar builder and, and he uh, taught me all about the plugged-in tools. <laughs> 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 and that sort of, you know, uh, started a path for me that was 
was a hobby for for a long time and then at some point uh, it became my uh, my career my, my you know my primary activity um, hmm. working with my hand uh, is not that common here and uh, we do still find people you know old masters uh, around the country uh, but I, I couldn't find anyone to teach me how to, you know, uh, sharpen a tool and, and how to cut joinery, uh, you know, mm-hmm. that, that kind of thing. So um, mm-hmm. when I when I when I was finally able to learn those things, uh, a few uh, uh, people just uh, uh, asked me to uh, share that knowledge with them, and that was responsible for getting me into teaching. Um, cool. Yeah. Uh, in, in one in, you know uh, uh, on one side on the, on the other hand there was uh, I, 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 I married to a teacher and my mom was a teacher and uh, so my, my sister is a dancer but she also taught so teaching was something uh, very uh, common to me very familiar mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, my in in one of the my wife was working at this uh, school uh, where woodworking was a woodworking was taught uh, and 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 then I, uh, I I started teaching kids as well and that happened at the same time I started teaching kids and grown ups and um, so my students are sometimes kids from the ages uh, well now age six and seven up uh, but I have taught the uh, uh, little ones in diapers before <laughs> oh wow <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, how to make toys uh, so um, yeah I, I teach uh, children and then uh, for grown-ups I, I, I thought that uh, I was I was going to uh, to get uh, uh, beginners uh, for the most part, but since uh, training in uh, in hand tool woodworking is hard here or was harder a few years back, I uh, I happened to find out that you know people coming to my uh, shop were uh, woodworkers or sometimes even pros. Um, so I, I have, there's a whole uh, variety of people coming to the shop and, and yeah, uh, taking classes now from, from real beginners to, uh, pros. Sounds like you've noticed a change in the past couple of years. Do you have any, do you have any ideas about what that is? Or you sounds like people are more interested in, in handwork. Is that, do you have any theories? I don't know how, how it's uh, for you guys, but here in the uh, yeah in the later years, I have seen uh, more and more people getting into woodworking and other uh, manual uh, activities. Uh, mm-hmm. People have been cooking more and you know more interested in in learning a craft or uh, learning how to how to sew or uh, do needlework and you know. Uh, those things. Um, I don't know why it became uh, uh, something trendy. Yeah. Um, it is now, oh. yeah, people go and, and search for uh, woodworking classes and uh, uh, more than ever. Um, I do know that, it, I do think that this is a very important part of life. 
and mm -hmm. uh, and, and and maybe it it, it uh, we came to a point where uh, more and more people start started realizing that having that kind of experience is important uh, for you and mm -hmm. how it, it connects you with uh, who you are and with making and making concrete things. You know, uh, some mm -hmm. people spend their uh, uh, most of their time uh, working on abstract things, you know, on computers and, yeah. uh, and, and the final uh, product of their work is not that palpable. And, mm -hmm. uh, so uh, I do think there was a search for, uh, you know, making something real and beautiful and useful uh, that you can hold and see and, and use, you know, I think that was, uh, the, yeah, that has been growing. I don't know why. I couldn't put my finger on it, but uh, yeah. it is true that in the uh, uh, past few years, we have, uh, we see that more and more. Yeah. Uh, cool. Yeah. I, yeah. How, how is it for you? Do you see? Uh, uh, is 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 it uh, is woodworking or you know any craft uh, more uh, uh, trendy right now? You know, it's one of those things where it's sort of hard to tell because I think once you're a craftsperson, hmm. or you know, put yourself in one category or another, you you naturally gravitate towards those people and so they become more part of your life and you're like oh my gosh everyone is a woodworker you know and it's like well <laughs> you're just getting deeper <laughs> like um but i think i think probably the the smartest way to answer that is yes i do i do think i do think people are much more interested in tangible result oriented things or if it, and that could be a lot of different things you cook more or you you help on a on your like neighbor's farm occasionally and they give you tomatoes or something you know like something yeah. just to put your hands on something that's other than a keyboard i definitely i definitely see that happening and, and people noticing how important it is for their mental health you know <laughs> Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know, Brian. Do you have a thought on that? Yeah, I was. I definitely second Amy's comment that you know once you're sort of because I remember when I was first getting interested in mm -hmm. bookbinding, I couldn't find anything uh, mm -hmm. online or in person, mm -hmm. uh, even though there was already a book arts uh, website and uh, like a list you could get on to email that had been going on since the early nineties. Mm -hmm. Um, mm. and so it's not that it didn't exist, but it, it's like, if you don't know the right words to look for or who to talk to or whatever, then it seems like there's nothing. Sure. Mm -hmm. But then as soon as you're exposed to it, it's kind of like when you get a, a certain type of, like a, if you get a car and then all of a sudden you see those cars everywhere. Mm -hmm. <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and so I think there's some, it's something sort of like that, but I mean, my experience is that it seems like there's a lot of growth. I get a lot mm -hmm. of emails and, uh, you know, messages from people who are asking how to learn more about things. And from what I can see of the different craft schools that offer, you know, educational opportunities in handcraft, they seem really busy and like their right. classes are filling up and yeah. that, 
uh, more and more people are taking workshops and stuff like that. So from, I mean, it seems like it's getting busier and busier, but I mean, once again, I'm definitely biased. Yeah. 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 I think that makes sense. The, a good metric is are craft schools and folk schools dying or are they (laughs) having more people come to them? And so that seems like something you could base an opinion on where it's like, no, they're all doing from what I can tell, like maybe this past year has been kind of rough because of everything, but Mm -hmm. it seems like people are really interested. And, and if they weren't interested, the big craft schools in the United States would be like shutting their doors. So sure. instead of opening new facilities and campuses. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Isn't that awesome? I I just, we we, we fell in love with that concept of a folk school. And uh, Mm -hmm. uh, I went to the U S for the first time last year. And uh, we, that was the wood tour. <laughs> oh, <laughs> cool. My, my, my wife actually lived in North Carolina for a year before we met. Oh, no way. So, cool. yeah, she was in, in Cary, which is near Valley. We, we got to visit a few friends there. And from there, uh, we went to uh, uh, across the mountains and, uh, you know, uh, to, uh, to Ohio. We got to Ohio. And then yeah. uh, down, and we went visiting uh, not the schools, but uh, craftsby. Um, mm-hmm. So cool. I, I I was fortunate fortunate enough to take a few classes uh, in the. Uh, you, you guys know Roy Underhill, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. So he has a school <laughs> in Pittsburgh, which is about half an hour away from from Cary, and I took a class there, and then we we drove up. To Kentucky, and we obviously stopped by Curtis Buchanan. Oh. Uh, so I, I, I met Curtis and and, and Ilya Bazari, and you know so many mm-hmm. uh, uh, incredible people, and and, uh, and Chris Schwartz in Kentucky, mm-hmm. and, uh, and 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 then we, we we didn't have time to go and visit all the schools, but uh, I, I later discovered that. Handland and John C. Kemple and Arrow Mountain, they're, they're all in that area, in, in that area. And mm-hmm. the, uh, uh, so we, we do have this uh, idea of uh, uh, putting something like that together here in Brazil. Because, oh. uh, you know, you, you were talking about uh, uh, you, Brian, you were saying that it is sometimes difficult to know what words to uh, look for and mm-hmm. you know, how you search. And then uh, it, it seems that you, you, you sort of unlock something, you know, you, mm-hmm. you, you sort of go through a door and then you start or, you know, uh, uh, start seeing, you know, other people that do what you are interested in and, and um, you know, and, and, and people you can learn from and then you discover all that. And that is sort of a magical uh, thing that happens, and mm-hmm. here here in Brazil, we, we do still have uh, many incredible uh, craftsperson people that make uh, amazing stuff. But it, it is very difficult to find these people sometimes, uh, hmm. or for some people, I, I had a hard time finding a woodworker that could teach me uh, traditional woodworking. But then you know later on, I discovered that oh. You know, there's this guy over here and that guy over there, and and maybe connecting those people is is mm-hmm. uh, important and, and bringing you know more people into the craft and and, and seeing this as a um, 
even a viable thing to do, you know, for a living. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just even like a, as a possibility. Sure. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, uh, some folks, they, they, they do say things are better right now because there's, there's more like uh, uh, guys and, and, and girls going into woodworking, but they mm-hmm. go into woodworking after they finish their uh, architecture or, or, or course, you know, in the university. Mm-hmm. You know, after mm-hmm. they graduate as designers or, or, or mm-hmm. architects, and uh, you know, it, it is a valuable uh, path, but you know, it's it's not the only one. You know, you should be mm-hmm. a, a, a woodworker or a carver just you know without even going to university. You know, it, it's, right, right. It, it, but but then you know, socially, that is perceived differently. You know, when when you uh, right. when you have a college degree or, or not. So these things are all all those factors at play. Yeah, it's such right, a it's such right. a subject to talk about uh, because you have all those factors that go into play, and then mm-hmm. there's uh, you know social class and and, and, uh, and place. You know some some questions are really local, mm-hmm. and uh, again mm-hmm. I'm, I'm talking about the reality I see in Sao Paulo, which is a major city. The John C. Campbell Folk School, based in Brasstown, North Carolina, has virtual options for you in various arts so you can temper your craft touch on top of fueling the fire of your mood with us. They've been forging craft knowledge forward for nearly 100 years, and in this socially distanced epoch they want to keep those nerves in your body alert, add some color to your time, and brighten your mind with weekend and week-long classes until in-person meetings on their campus can happen again. Which it will! You can find them through whatever search engine you prefer, many social media outlets, and our website. Check it out! For almost 25 years, North House Folk School has been providing a powerful connection between people and resources, linking time-honored traditions and current best practices that help to ensure the future of handcraft. I've been dying to make my way up to North House ever since the first time I saw one of Instructor April Stone's baskets, and the more I learn about it, the more I'm itching to go. They're offering COVID-conscious in-person classes, but even if you can't make it to one of those, they're also offering a smorgasbord of online courses. So whether you feel most comfortable learning handcraft online or on the shore of Lake Superior, North House Folk School has carved out a place for you. Do you find, like, I think one of the things that um, a lot of people I've talked to seem to see as a, I mean, I would agree, a really positive part of, you know, sort of uh, craft in the United States is that in general, people are very eager and happy to share their knowledge Mm. with people. And I didn't know, I was curious to know, um, you know, how that was when you were trying to learn and pick up things from people. Were they generally pretty generous with the information or was it like a, no, that's my secret. I worked really hard to find that out. We find, we find both. Yeah. Uh, mm. uh, both ways of dealing with it. Uh, um, it it's uh, okay. How should I, should I, should I approach this? Craftspeople, sometimes they, they, they uh, um, it's not like really a choice for some people. So you just end mm-hmm. up doing whatever you can to survive. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, you know, choosing that uh, path in life is a more of a middle class thing than, mm -hmm. you know, people have to make a living and, 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 and sometimes they end up in uh, woodworking or masonry or, you know, uh, leather work or whatever it, it is. So uh, sometimes people are proud of uh, and are, are aware of, uh, of the knowledge they carry. Some sometimes they're not, mm. and so they can be protective because there's competition, and mm. there's that notion that if I uh, teach everything, if I teach you everything I know, you, you will still work for me. Uh, mm. you, you you do find that mm. uh, because making ends meet is so hard, but you you also find people that are very uh, willing to share everything they know and. Uh, and, and, and they're they're uh, unknown masters. They're not, uh, uh, you know, they they don't think of themselves as masters or you know or or important people, and uh, and they are because they have this knowledge. But it, it's just uh, like, uh, um, you know, they're they sometimes when, when when you're poor when, when and when people don't appreciate what you do. It's uh, it's it's hard to have that feedback, you know, and to know that mm -hmm. you, you know you're a very valuable uh, person, and you know, for for, the, for for the community you're in, and mm -hmm. so we, we do find both things, yeah, protective. That 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 was one thing that made me. Um, so going back to uh, talking about me, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm I'm a psychologist. And uh, Whoa. yeah, cool. so I was a, uh, I'm a trained clinical psychologist, and uh, <laughs> and then I went to uh, 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 I, I was pursuing a master's degree in Argentina. That's where I learned uh, Spanish. I went to live in mm -hmm. Buenos Aires, and I was uh, you know trying to uh, um, study for this uh, or doing this research on the history of psychoanalysis. <laughs> And uh, I was about to, uh, I was almost 30 years of age. And then I realized that working with my hands was something that had more to do with uh, me, with who I am. And that, you mm -hmm. know, becoming a craftsman was, was something uh, uh, important. And, and then I, uh, you know, I had been doing woodworking as a, uh, as a hobby until then. And, uh, and and when I when I realized that you know I should become a a, a woodworker or you know a craftsman, I I went into organ building, <laughs> as one does, Whoa. as in pipe organs. Yeah. yeah, classic first step. So yeah, sure, yeah. So if I'm if I'm gonna make uh, uh, you know things well, and I love musical instruments, I should make the biggest one. So <laughs> that, was, that was about it. And, and, and I had a hard time finding someone to learn from in Argentina. Uh, so I, I do that, that sort of uh, uh, made me come back to Brazil because at that time, we're talking about almost like 10 years ago. Um, mm -hmm. At that time, we had some ongoing restoration projects uh, in Brazil. Uh, so they were restoring historical instruments, uh, and, uh, uh, and and we, we, we had like uh, uh, Europeans 
working on those instruments. So highly skilled and trained uh, uh, companies that do uh, that specialize in, in restorations, uh, taking care of the instruments we had here. So that was that was my door into like uh, really becoming a, a, a craftsman. So I, I got to work with uh, uh, Germans and, and Spanish and, and, uh, and French uh, people uh, restoring pipe organs. Um, cool. So, you know, so sometimes you, you, do, you do bump into those uh, walls like, you know, no one uh, when you finally find someone that knows, <laughs> uh, uh, you know what you want to do and you know what, what you what you want to learn, and, and, and they won't teach you, that sometimes lead you uh, to other things. And uh, since then, I've, I've been uh, I, I, I I'm no longer a psychologist, and I, I've been working with my hands. So, I mean, that explains why you like the podcast. Is because mm. you're like psychologically breaking Brian and I down, and you're like, "Wow, these two. He's got diagnosis. <laughs> yeah, what's the diagnosis? I just, I just love the the the, the stories, you know. And but more than that, more than that, and I'm I'm saying that being really respectful to all the guests. But more than that, I, I'm so drawn to the uh, your sensitivity and how you treat. Uh, you know, each uh, guest and their stories and how you truly listen. I think that comes out. The things you present about yourselves uh, is also, it, it's so refre refreshing. And so it, it is, uh, I'm not talking as a psychologist, but it, it is healing. <laughs> it is healing, I think, because, you, you, know, you know, sometimes when people talk about themselves, they're, 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 they're too defensive or they, they present a version of themselves that, you know, sometimes it's not connected to who they are. And, and, and what you do is, is so nice because, you know, it's, it's this unarmed, uh, uh, sincere talk. That's, that's one of the things I love about the podcast. My goodness. Oh, thank you, Diego. <laughs> I feel like if I could be an emoji right now, I'd be like that one that has little hearts all over its face. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a nice thing, especially today, you know, when you mm -hmm. have such, so much of, you know, what's, uh, of, of, you know, uh, the opposite of kindness. And, you know. I like that way of putting it, the opposite of kindness. <laughs> yeah. Opposite of kindness. <laughs> uh, yeah, that my, my lack of vocabulary just... Uh... <laughs> oh, you got to give yourself some credit. Oh this my gosh, are you kidding? And you're like this with Spanish as well. Right. What other languages do you speak? Yeah. What I mean, else do you have up your sleeve? Yeah. <laughs> not, not much, no. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I do, I do, I do uh, uh, love languages. Yeah, I think it was that's uh, great. Good, Goethe, the, the the writer, German writer, mm -hmm. who mm -hmm. said that you know every time you learn a different language, it's it's like you, you become a different person. It, it's not like that. Mm. The quote is not, I'm not quoting it right, but uh, it's when you 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 really start speaking uh, another language, you think differently. And you have different resources available to communicate ideas and to put mm. ideas together. So it's like 
a new pair of glasses. It's you see mm. the world in a different way, and I I enjoy that very much. That's one of the reasons I went to live in Argentina. You know, I, I wanted to uh, like be a foreigner and you know have to use a different language to live. <laughs> but but uh, Brian, you, you do you do speak Spanish, right? I mean, I can get around and I can make some jokes and <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm at the part where I'm able to just think in Spanish at this point. Okay. Like it's still a lot of like translation in my head, but I feel like if I had like maybe eight more weeks being somewhere, uh-huh. then I would be pretty much good to go. Yeah. But, um but yeah, there's only so much that Duolingo lessons can get you. <laughs> <laughs> that is so. That is so amazing. So that, that that's how we connected, right? So you, you yep. just said, I think you said in the podcast was something about procrastinating, which is a favorite subject of mine. Uh, <laughs> and and you said uh, something about learning Spanish, you know, in uh, Duolingo. And then I I saw you on a uh, Instagram live with the 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 colombian guys yeah and and you were like you were like speaking spanish fluently and i said that's not possible (laughs) this guy how is that you know duolingo only i was just gonna it was duolingo plus eight weeks of um being with like my favorite people ever um what the ryan yeah sorry amy (laughs) (laughs) no um but no, uh, Carlos and Alba, who mm-hmm. were are the um, are Cav Tiger, which were the people who I was doing the Instagram live with, mm-hmm. um, are just incredible craftspeople. They they're also tool makers, but they mostly make tools for other woodworkers. And well, actually, pretty much, uh, they do tools for tons of different crafts, but mostly tools made of wood, at least. And um, mm. anyway, when I was teaching in Bogota. We became really close friends and I ended up mostly staying with them. And so um, I guess I really have their uh, their daughter Soledad to thank for my Spanish because she was mm. she would <laughs> just, you know, we would just talk about what our favorite colors were and what our favorite flowers were <laughs> and which building we liked the best and stuff like that. And that really helped build my little vocabulary. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's the best way to learn. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a very, I'm a very lazy person. So <laughs> studying, <laughs> studying language. I don't believe that. Oh yeah. You, we're getting to know each other. <laughs> yeah. You will believe in, in a moment. By the way, you should start your Portuguese Duolingo. You too, by the way, Ooh. because as soon as yeah, we get the, <laughs> as soon as we get the school uh, rolling here, you are invited to teach here. <gasps> um, that would be so fun. Yeah, <laughs> but just just so I, I don't lose the the thread here, you are a toolmaker too, right, uh, Brian? What, what got you into toolmaking? Because you you started doing the bookbinding thing, mm. and then that went yes. went into making finishing tools for. The book binding is that that right? Yep. Yeah. Um. So, essentially, where that came from was uh necessity. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) where those tools are really are really expensive, Mm -hmm. and uh, to buy there are a few makers, um, in Europe who still make finishing tools for sale, Mm -hmm. and I just you know 
trying to set up my own shop here didn't have the money to buy you know those are really the biggest limiting factor with your decorative possibilities with the a book cover mm-hmm. and so i thought well if i can if i can make my own tools then like i can really blow open that door really just kind of take the book decoration in any direction that i want it to and so that always was a motivating factor to try to get better at it and then I also was very fortunate to find that there were other people interested in the tools I was making. So mm. I started offering them for sale. Cool. <laughs> that is so cool. cool. For, for those of us who, who prefer to leave the trees for, uh, you know, carving bowls and, and spoons and are not much into books, uh, <laughs> 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 what are those? Tools? But you, you don't use them on paper. You, you use them on, on, on leather. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. They are just little decorative brass stamps, basically, um, that you use to build up the designs on leather book covers. Okay. And I'm mostly interested in kind of historic, um, I guess, historic aesthetics or historic patterns. And so I like to study what those patterns look like um, and kind of figure out what makes them work the way they do or Mm. try to at least and Mm. then incorporate my own tool designs into those sorts of patterns or ways of laying out um, a book cover design does that make sense sure i hope it makes sense (laughs) (laughs) how how did you learn to because they're 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 very tiny and you sort of you need to carve (laughs) those patterns you know like little little uh, backhorns and you know uh, uh, lines and very fine details on a tiny, tiny piece of brass or, you know, <laughs> how, how did you learn to, to, to make those tools? Well, I started out making just simpler designs uh, with just files um, mm-hmm. and like a jeweler saw blade if I wanted to make a little line or a drill bit if I wanted to, you know, make like a little halo or circle. Mm-hmm. Um, and really it was just files and then I knew I wanted to f- learn engraving, so I mm. saved up and took a class from a facility out in Kansas. And mm. I took a one-week class with someone who is uh, like a big engraving hero of mine. Yeah. And who is it? So that kind of laid out. Uh, his name is Bill Oyster. Okay. And he works out of Georgia, and they make really fancy bamboo fly fishing rods. Wow. And he engraves all the little metal uh, like couplers that put the different segments of bamboo together and it's just his stuff is absolutely incredible and so I really love his work and I've, I had met them before at like a craft fair thing um, a number of years ago and so I went and took a class with him and kind of learned the basics of engraving and then since then it's mostly just been just the stubborn will to make a pattern work. Uh (laughs) (laughs) um, But yeah, so that's, that's where that kind of was coming from. Yeah. It was pretty much the same for me when I started making uh, hand planes, Uh, I couldn't afford a good plane and, uh, but I could afford a good blade and I could uh, work wood. So and, I, and, and, and James Cranach was a big influence uh, for me. Hmm. Um, mm. This is the guy, you know, the, the, the woodworker. But uh, um, I, I love I love his work, and, and he he made those uh, laminated uh, uh, planes popular. 
the the traditional planes are made by hollowing out the the space for the blade and for the the shavings to come out so mm -hmm. it's a, a, a one a piece of wood one block that you carve mm -hmm. and uh but you, you can make a hand plane by laminating the pieces so you cut two uh, ears let, let's put it that way and then you have a center block and then you can saw the the ramps uh you know for the blade and for the the, the, the breast mm -hmm. as you call it and, and then you you can glue it up then you glue up those pieces uh, forming the hand plane uh, cool. So that's 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 what got me started into uh, tool making. Maybe yeah. so, uh, not having you know the resources can be a very very good thing. You know, sometimes, <laughs> right? <laughs> I was talking to Curtis one time, and he was like, "Poverty makes for a good woodworker." <laughs> oh, yeah. And I was like, "Yeah." yeah. It's true. It's true because he has a you know pretty similar story of just like having to figure it out. That's probably applicable to every craft. Really, is like you know you have to learn how to use your your brain and your ingenuity in a, in yeah. a different way. Mm -hmm. But yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, to go back to a question that is relevant to what you were just talking about, is there an advantage to using a wooden plane over a metal one? And no, no. Okay. What? I, I mean, I, here's, I'm here's, sorry. I'm saying that with this, uh, an ulterior motive, because if you go to an antique store in the United States, mm -hmm. at least you mm -hmm. see a lot of wooden planes, like old wooden, like rosewood planes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they're always much cheaper than the metal ones, mm -hmm. or at least it seems like it, they are. And so I was wondering, mm -hmm. like, should is it okay for me to buy a wooden plane over a metal one and just be like i'm just gonna try to figure out how to fix it and go with that or do you have a suggestion <laughs> for me <laughs> just just go for it yeah just just go for hmm. for what you have around it's uh i think it 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 it, it, com it, it comes to personal uh, preference really um, hmm. So some people enjoy the mass uh, of the uh, uh, you know the heavier uh, metal planes, but some other folks just say that pushing a heavy plane the entire day uh, you know really makes you tired, so they prefer a lighter hmm. plane made out of mm -hmm. wood. Um, mm -hmm. Some people enjoy just touching the wood and feeling the hand plane. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. in your hands, Krenov used to talk about this, and a, a hand plane is a is a simple tool. So you know, if you can work wood, you can make one. Uh, mm -hmm. Obviously, you can keep refining. You know what you make, and you will you will learn more and more. Uh, you know, uh, if you keep making planes, but mm -hmm. you know, a first plane would would work perfectly. You know, if you just pay attention to a few things, and. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and you can shape, if you make your own plane, you can shape that plane to uh, go with your hands, to be inviting to your hands. And mm. some, you know, you know, some, some people are very uh, sensitive to that or they sort of search for, for that feeling, you know, a connection with the tools and mm -hmm. the, the responsiveness you have. So 
it's 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 personal preference uh, really mm -hmm. you know you can hear that well, metal planes can be easier to adjust because you have a lot of moving parts and the and uh, you know you, you can dial in that that you know setting that you want uh, mm -hmm. but if you become uh, familiar with the the, the wooden planes uh, western style or eastern mm -hmm. style so uh, you know it, it is uh, really easy to adjust them with just a hammer you know you just uh, mm -hmm. become aware of you know how hard should you hit the blade or how how hard you, should, you hit the, the, the body of the plane to retract the blade. Uh, mm -hmm. And moving parts can also, you know, be uh, or, or bring a lot of trouble, uh, especially if, <laughs> if, if, if they're not good quality. Um, mm -hmm. So I would say both are, you know, uh, uh, good choices. We have been using, you know, metal blades uh, fairly recently in the history of woodworking, uh, mm -hmm. which dates back to, you know, thousands of years ago. So, uh, yeah. No, no. Woodworking started in 1924. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone knows that. With the invention of the planer. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Amy, I was, I was, I was uh, curious about something. I, you know, as, as you know, I teach. Uh, kids, how to use uh, sharp tools, and mm -hmm. I um, I trust them with these tools, and I uh, I've heard uh, you had someone in your life that trusted you with a sharp knife when you were very little. Uh, yes. How is that? How is that about? You know, you already talked in the uh, uh, the first episode, or actually the the in inaugural one, uh, where mm -hmm. uh, both of you were talking. You told mm -hmm. the story about your dad giving you a knife. Mm -hmm. uh, how was it? You know, you 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 are used to working with your hands your entire life. Gosh, I mean, I I can really just think about how I always wanted to carve. I mean, hmm. from being very small, I and I always wanted to have a little knife. I've I've always had a pocket knife. I found I would find one, or you know. I don't know. When you're growing up, you find stuff like at your grandparents' house <laughs> or your your dad yeah. has a pocket knife and you just go take it and try to make something. I remember my earliest recollection of using a knife is my dad we were down at the sawmill. He's he's got a sawmill. He he um basically reconstructed a circular sawmill in like 1992. And so I would yeah. have been eight. Is that right? Seven, oh. eight. Yeah, I would have been eight years old. Okay. And I remember having a little pocket knife and I had this mm -hmm. little teeny piece of wood and dad was doing something on the sawmill. Um, And I was down there with him and I was carving a little piece of wood and wow. i cut into my index finger uh -huh. um which is funny because it's on my right hand i'm just now thinking of this i would have been holding the the knife in my left hand which is <laughs> the <laughs> wrong you know supposedly the wrong hand uh for me i, I uh, do most most things with my right hand but at least i would have been 
you know, maybe eight or nine when that happened, I cut my, my index finger and my dad, <laughs> my dad was like, ah, <laughs> he came over and wrapped, he took his shirt off his undershirt and like wrapped it around my finger. Cause I cut it pretty deep. I still have the scar on my finger. Um, oh, wow. we went up to the, he like drove up to the house and my mom took my hand and cleaned it up and put a bandaid on it and stuff. So it was okay. But, um, I learned my lesson after that, but it didn't stop my dad from seeing that it was something that I like to do and mm-hmm. probably figured out what could happen if you cut yourself. <laughs> mm-hmm. So there's a certain amount of trust. I think that, that is difficult for parents I, I would think I, it's hard for me to to mm-hmm. see small kids with a knife sometimes. But <laughs> I think usually kids know what pain is and they know they don't want to cut themselves. And if you tell them, hey, don't do this or you might cut yourself, they usually listen to you because they don't want to have something that hurts. They're like, oh, you know? yeah. And, <laughs> Oh yeah, I'm going to stab my finger. Like it just doesn't I I just kind of refuse to believe that that kids are completely oblivious to danger. I I think that they they get it. And especially if they've accidentally cut themselves before, um they definitely get it. I still have my scar. <laughs> right. So yeah, my dad got he ended up getting me a a, like a more a carving knife when I was a preteen and I and because I was so interested in carving and undaunted by the danger uh he would give me pieces of wood and 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 just let me figure it out and so I figured out wood grain by carving when I was a kid and it's just always been a part of of my skill set I think and the part of you, yeah. right? Because you said yeah. before about this, uh, uh, you said something I, I, I loved. Uh, how uh, you know you, you not only your brain but your personality and, and your sensitivity are shaped by the things you interact with. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that I was struck, you know, by it because really, you know, you, you have those experiences and, and that. Uh, end up teaching you quite a lot about not only the material but you know so many other things mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. uh yeah yeah it's it's fascinating to know that you, you have been doing this for so long you know since you were a kid it hasn't been continuous, continuous. Yeah. yeah so i think because if it had been i would be like light years beyond where i am now i think <laughs> <laughs> with carving but um mm-hmm. i think in high school mm-hmm. i i stopped carving because sure. it wasn't a cool thing to do i mean people were like that is the weirdest thing i've ever heard of or they would be like that's cool but it doesn't really matter let's talk about you know something yeah. i don't <laughs> Uh, it was just not not a cool thing to do, or that was my perception. And so I just sort of stopped and became a, an art kid. And so I drew and painted and spent a lot of time in the art uh, mm-hmm. end of school. 
which was mm -hmm. good. It was good for me to understand, you know, the elements and principles of art and design and yeah. all those things. And then I pursued that in college too. Yeah. Um, and this kind of goes into the other question you had, which was um, to talk about my experiences in the Pacific Northwest. Sure. Yeah. I decided to go to a, um, I don't know how to describe it. It's, it, it's called Earthwalk Northwest and it's a ancestral skills school or bushcraft is another really popular term for that, that kind of skill building. And so I went to this school and I was just totally enamored in making the craft related things of mm -hmm. these ancestral skills or it's like making cordage out of a plant that we just went out into the woods and picked you know and um or carving carving a spoon which i hadn't done since oh. i was a teenager um okay so i i came back to using my hands and getting a little more out of my head <laughs> uh -huh. um through relearning these skills that I personally believe everyone in the world should know um, mm. because it, it connects you to outside. It connects you to the outside, basically, like mm -hmm. not your house. Mm -hmm. You go outside, mm -hmm. you find a plant, you take off the, the outer and inner pith and find the bast and make little strings and then, oh yeah, okay. You can build a net after you've made all this cordage and well, what mm -hmm. are you going to do when you catch, when you catch a fish? Well, you're going to have to build a fire. Well, how are you going to, how are you going to build a, you know, everything, they're all sort of like foundational skills that build upon one another. And I mm -hmm. think I found my way back to myself and my humanness and my ability to make things through yeah. that experience and it is so formative and i think that it's at least for me it was just so important that i did that um in in just so many different ways and i i uh i i hope and wish that more people would be interested in that because of my experience my ability to take risks um and face uncertainty certainly hinged on that experience my, my mouth was opened for, for a while it's so interesting I'm, I'm sitting in my living room like i don't know twenty thousand miles away from you just listening to your voice you, you're sharing you know you're sharing these experiences it's so personal and, and, and formative but yet so common to many of us, uh, you know, mm -hmm. because, uh, um, mm. you know, that happened to me as well. You know, you, you, mm. you go through things in life that, you know, that show you, uh, you know, things about you or, you know, and, and about the world. And mm. then you, you, you later find, find out that, you know, uh, people go through that, you know, these are, these are all formative experiences mm -hmm. and, and and you know we should uh, try to make the world like a, a place where you know things 
like that are available, you know, not, not only craft related, but, you know, mm -hmm. a, a way for, you know, interaction between people that, that would, you know, allow people to discover, you know, uh, who they are and, and, and what their interests are and, and, and what they can become. And, uh, and, yeah. and, and spe specifically talking about education, I, I don't know how you guys feel this, but, uh, in, in uh, to me, or at least here in Brazil, the um, education is when you're when you're when you're very little. Uh, education is about your 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 whole being, uh, meaning mm. your brain, mm -hmm. your brain, but your body as well. You know, you you do mm -hmm. engage in physical activities. There are uh, sometimes sports, but also play. And also music mm -hmm. and dancing and uh, you know feeling mm -hmm. your body and using your body and and how your body is connected to you know your brain and it is inside your body so <laughs> you know it you're right be, it's connected <laughs> and your hands are just hanging you know from so, you know <laughs> you are a, a being and and and, and later in education uh, things start going to the head, you know, and you're like mm -hmm. focusing so much on the head and on mental, uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, aspects of life and learning. And you, 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 you end up, you know, forgetting and in most, in most pedagogical approaches, not all of them, but, you know, uh, you end up forgetting that uh, we are, uh, um, you know, a, a being with a, 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 a sensibility and and, mm -hmm. and wills and, and and you know and and, and the body <laughs> mm -hmm. and bringing back uh, those notions. I think it's 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 really important and it's it's fascinating how uh, how how you've, you you found someone in your life when you were very young that was. Uh, you know, looking at you and and, and, and realizing that you you had those interests, uh, you mm -hmm. know, and allowing you to explore and, and discover, uh, you know, about uh, um, uh, you know carving and what you're doing, and later mm -hmm. you found that somewhere else. Mm We're all still in the same topsy-turvy, side-winding world called 2020 AD. A place in time with ups and downs which certainly lends credence to the foreknowledge that calendar years are man-made constructs because this one is not living up to its synonym for visual acuity. Oh, blurry vision. Hindsight might be 2020. But must we settle for that cliché as we presently deal with a barrage of viral and political lasers shooting into our eyes through social media sirens, screaming through screens, forcing us to constantly decipher which will purify our perception and which will simply confuse or carve us up? Shifting times call for shifting mindsets. At least we're not all simply walking around with hindsight. That'd be brand name ketchup in our eyes. We can consider this period in history a pressure cooker and blow up like all those hotheads in Total Recall, but I prefer to think of it like a letterpress. It's got ups and downs too, but the intention is to leave a message on paper of both image and language indicative of the process it went into and out of to get made. 
We here at Cut the Craft are out to provide you some relief. And next week, it's literal. Brad Vetter vets ideas from his mind. Those that pass the test get pressed by wood type onto posters. He debosses because he's such a boss there's no need for him to emboss. This form of letter pressing is an analog process dating back to the Gutenberg, which was high tech until offset printing stole the stage, which has since been supplanted by the digital arena. But Brad's a savvy guy who uses social media to disseminate images of paper imprints, melding the modern with its origin to brand impressive impressions. He's a graphic designer too, but don't worry, he's nonviolent. It's not that kind of graphic. And he's also a laser engraver we can trust. Check in next episode and let his interview leave its mark on you as a sign of the time you're making it through. There's a cave complex in France that has the oldest found um, evidence of fiber cordage. And it's from the date... It's a uranium date from 51,000 to 47,000 years ago, which wow. predates Homo sapiens. So it's wow. Neanderthal um, cordage making in France. And so wow. when, when, I'm look, when I'm talking about ancestral skills, I'm talking about very, very, like, what's, every, what's something that everyone knew 40,000 years ago? Right. And that for me, <laughs> finding that commonality is it's very important and mm. and it speaks to what makes us humans interacting mm-hmm. in the world and i'm talking about like everyone you know and mm-hmm. i think the more we look at those things and find them and discover them and share them with everyone that we know only good things can result so mm. i think that's where my uh, that's where my mind goes. And that's where my heart goes normally is, is mm-hmm. just kind of like, well, how can we, how can we find commonalities and, and in craft and in our ability to make things with our hands? And so I spend a lot of time reading really dry archeological textbooks <laughs> because, uh, because I just find it fo- so fascinating. Like, I can't get over it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. when, you, when, you, when you come to Brazil, uh, we'll take you to um, Serra da Capivara. Uh, Serra, da, Serra is a bridge, and Capivara is an animal. So uh, okay. a, a, a mammal. Mammal? No, uh-huh. not, an, not, not a mammal. No, it's like a, what do you call, a rodent. In, in English, we'd call it the capybara. Capybara, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Cute. <laughs> I mean, obviously, yeah. you're saying it completely wrong, but that's what people here probably recognize. Okay, so Serra da Capivara is a, is a complex of archaeological sites, and uh, and people have been studying these uh, findings for, for a long time, and they sustain a theory that the human presence in America, um, mm. South America, didn't mm-hmm. come from North America, which is the the most the, the, the established mm-hmm. uh, established uh, theory. 
Mm-hmm. So it came through the Atlantic. Uh, mm. and, and they have, uh, they could date artifacts and paintings from, you know, many thousands of years. So before the Bering Strait uh, theory. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's fascinating. And, uh, they have wow. tools and uh, paintings and it's it's a lovely place to hike and then you you know you, you go up in the mountains and then you you find these uh, uh paintings uh, wall paintings so uh yeah we'll take you there brian you're oh. also invited so <laughs> <laughs> oh yay yeah. <laughs> but yeah were they binding books though <laughs> Oh, probably, but you know, books don't last that much. So. <laughs> right, right. Hey. <laughs> oh, that's that's so interesting. There's so many different sites around the world that just have, just mm. I don't know. There's such a wealth of history that people just don't know about. Yeah, and it's so humbling when you when you see that because. We are, you know, it's almost automatically we, we, we think that, you know, everything invented now or last year is better. And right. when it comes to, you know, working with your hands, if you go into a craft, you, you will soon find out that, you know, hmm, that is not always the truth. Right. Uh, yeah. You know, or into into arts, and, uh, you know, so humans have been making incredible stuff for ages mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. you know although I do prefer uh, I like my dentist to use the you know the newest technology and tools and I, I don't want <laughs> to use 18th century tools but when I listen to Bach and you know and, and Baroque music you yeah. know it, it's it's cool when they use harpsichords and old violins you know it's, it's a different realm it, you know it's something else going on there actually tiago that uh perfectly segues into a question that i had for you that uh the picture you sent us a picture um and it looked like you were tuning a harpsichord is that correct yes it is okay cool because it's just like i i i find the variety of things that you make really interesting and now knowing a little bit more of your background coming from building organs and stuff that makes a lot of sense but I mean, it's like from making block planes uh, or hand, is hand plane or block plane, are those interchangeable or is there like a difference? Block plane would be a small kind of plane, but it's usually made of metal. It's just sense mm. for a small, small hand plane. Metal gotcha, one. gotcha. But, uh, uh, that, okay. would be, that would be plane or hand plane or wooden plane. Mm-hmm. Okay. But so, yeah. So then, you know, from making hand planes to like harpsichords and stuff, do you have a, a sort of project or commission that you enjoy doing the most? And are there any woodworking related projects that you refuse to do? <laughs> <laughs> the material is, is really what, uh, what appeals uh, to me, you know, and, and working wood is um, something I love to do if I'm making a, a tool or a musical instrument or restoring something. Or making furniture, I think that being mm-hmm. in the presence and being or, or or be able to transform this natural material is uh, what I, I, I love the most. Uh, I don't know if, cool. if there's anything I refuse to make. Um, 
Yeah. Tough, tough question. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Good to know. I'll try to, I'll try to think of something that I'll send to you and then you'll be like, no, nah, I'm not doing that. It, it has to do with the materials too, you know, so making like mm-hmm. a, a MDF cabinets, it's not something I would love to do, mm-hmm. uh, but making cabinets is fine. You know, as long as I can put myself into the process, you know, if I can find mm-hmm. something in there, uh, whether it's the design or the process itself, uh, you know, if, if there's a place for me, I'm 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 happy doing it. Which segues to <laughs> a very interesting thing. Uh, Amy, you wrote the article for uh, Mortis and Time Magazine, uh, which is called "Sense of Place," right? And, and that 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 was so. Uh, yeah, I know you don't like to talk about it. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, you you, you should see me like squirming right now. <laughs> you deserve the spotlight because you know. Oh, no. uh, you know yeah, you know, to me, it, when I when I first discovered or, or, or listen, when I first listened to you using that uh, uh, the, the, the phrasing or the wording, you know, sense of place. Uh, you know that in, in, in psychoanalysis, there, there was a, a, a British uh, psychoanalyst called Donald Winnicott, and he has a, this notion of placement as a, uh, a technique, as something you can do to help people suffering, uh, because, you know, you, you can talk about what, what's going on, and you can interpret dreams and you know whatever you you, mm-hmm. you think you should do with someone in, in therapy but he he sort of formalized this um this thing that that has been going on for much longer uh that has to do with you know sometimes if you just change the environment that can be helpful to for someone to deal with what's going on and their questions, you know, and their, their mm-hmm. issues. So, mm-hmm. uh, for instance, the, uh, the kid presents a symptom, it uh, doesn't matter which, and, and, uh, and then you, you find out that the parents are fighting a lot, and then, mm. you know, the kid is taken to the, uh, uh, the, the, the grandma's uh, house to live for a couple of weeks or, you know, a year, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, or with an ant, you know, that kind of uh, intervention that would be called placement, and mm. uh, and uh, so that was one thing. And then there's another one that you know, uh, I always had a very lively uh, internal life, but mm-hmm. what gave me a place in the world and a sense of place was becoming a craftsman. You know, mm-hmm. I. I Found through craft, to through making things, a place for me. Mm-hmm. So you know what you convey in that article is so uh, uh, close to my heart too. You know because mm. uh, you, you were talking about how you discovered craft and you know and the things you used to do. Um, mm-hmm. So you know finding a place is such a difficult thing. You know for. For us, I think, you know, some of us have, uh, have, you know, an easier path, but uh, 
Yeah, you, 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 that article should be read in, in the psychology university too. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, <laughs> take that, Amy. Oh, jeez, I know. <laughs> um, so it's it's interesting. The first thing I thought when you when you brought the 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 placement thing up is like I I think from being a teenager until hmm until I went to the Pacific Northwest like really I mean dealt with some super super tough um psychological kind of issues I mean it was like just really really intense depression and some like obsessive compulsive disorder and there, like during college and stuff, it would I would go through these like two year cycles of being kind of okay, and then having this having like breakdown episodes. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I learned from that, I don't struggle with any of that right now, or mm-hmm. and I haven't for quite a while because I've worked through those shadows. But mm-hmm. um, I learned so much from that, and I, I'm very thankful for that. Because one of the things I learned was if I can get my hands active in doing something and move my body, and sometimes if it means narrating myself from my bed to the bathroom, which I have done before, you know, it was like, I can't do anything past saying, all right, move your left foot. Now move your right foot now move your left foot and eventually you'll get to the door and then you can open the. I mean, I've been there. And that is about putting yourself in the place that you are right now. Where am I? I'm in this room. Where do I want to be next? Well, okay, I need to go to the bathroom. So that's what I'm going to do next. And that is all about placing yourself somewhere. Mm-hmm. And you have to start somewhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. So if that's all you can think about right now, that's what you do. Um, but one of the things I learned from my dad was that there's a coping skill in getting your hands moving. I mean, there was one time when my parents had to come get me from Virginia just to get out of where I was. Mm -hmm. And my dad was like, all right, you can't sit here. You can't lay here on the couch, even though I know that's what you want to do. You need to come Mm -hmm. down to the shop and this is your job. And your job today is to varnish these cabinets that I'm making. And so that was my purpose in life at that time was varnish these cabinets. That's my place. Mm -hmm. That's where I belong right now. Um, Mm -hmm. And one time it was taking the hulls off of walnuts, you know, just, just total busy work. It's not as if I needed to do either of those things. He was perfectly capable of doing them himself. But Mm -hmm. there's an important part of when you're going through something that is just so dense, like so dense energetically and Mm -hmm. mentally that you have to, you have to, to kind of draw a line in the sand and say, okay, 
I know this isn't what I really want to be doing, but I am going to get out of my head for a while and into my body. And mm -hmm. that mm. is transformative. Mm. That's what I learned from my past. Wow. <laughs> a sense That's of nice. place. Yeah. 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 I, I went through something, you know, well, I, 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 I don't know if I can say similar, but I went through depression as well. And, and, mm -hmm. and for me, it was like uh, realizing that I was like stalled. Uh, mm -hmm. And so being in motion or being connected with mm -hmm. who I am and with, you know, things around me, because you, you already approached this in a very uh, beautiful way, you know, how... Um, you know, you can work wood uh, and you go to the wood shop and you buy wood, uh, the wood mm -hmm. store, you buy wood. But you can work wood in the nature, you know, knowing from mm -hmm. which tree that a piece of wood came, and, you know, and that gives you a connection to the natural mm -hmm. world that, that we, all, we all have and we all mm -hmm. need to go, go from, you know, the natural to a human uh, you know, state in life, but we, mm -hmm. if we lose the connection, it's it's something that can lead us to to uh, suffering. You know, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Wow. Dang. I think now it's my turn to sit here with my mouth open. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was yeah. Wow. Um. Jeez, where do we go from there? That was amazing. <laughs> you know, I, I, I love you too dearly. You know, we don't know each other in person, but uh, really, uh, I feel you too really close. So, you know, getting <laughs> getting to talk about these things, it's, uh, yeah, <laughs> it has to do with all of, you know, all of that. You know. I've experienced a lot of, like, an emphasis on solely identifying yourself as, like, a craftsperson. And that's enough of like a cure for everything. <laughs> but I think that it's like, we're also people, <laughs> just like people, people. Yeah. Right. I had this uh, professor at the university uh, when I was studying psychology and he was uh, uh, studying the, a few Russian authors and, um, uh, you know, philosophers, but also writers. Uh, and because of, uh, you know, local circumstances and, and uh, historical circumstances, you, you do find that, you know, at some point in time, somewhere, uh, uh, there's a bunch of people saying things about life that, that, that has to do with, with all of us. You know, they, 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 they go really deep, deep into human ontology <laughs> so mm -hmm. uh, you know these philosophers that he, he was uh, studying uh, 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 inform him of, of you know very important things uh, about human nature or, or the human condition uh, and he was trying to uh, um, bring that into uh, psychology uh, or theorize about uh, uh, use those those ideas and, and what he was seeing in in, in his uh, patients here in Brazil, and uh, one of the things that he uh, realized is that uh, um, the, the the Russians have a very uh, um, particular connection with 
the, the, the land and also with, with uh, the things around them uh, that, that is not exclusive to, to Russians, but, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, 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 the notion is that uh, uh, things for, for us living in the, the Western uh, countries in the past few years or, you know, decades, things are very uh, attached to the idea of, of uh, consumerism. And, mm -hmm. you know, just being objects, meaning that they are objectified things, you know, they, 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 mm -hmm. they, they stopped, uh, uh, they are uh, a sign of social status or, you know, something we don't really pay attention to. And, uh, but we are very permeable to, to the things around us and they have the capacity to um, store and present uh, history and uh, things have a soul that would be one way to put it uh, but if you think that's too uh, too cheesy uh, <laughs> they, they can communicate things and they can uh, uh, present a way to see the world and to uh, uh, you know when we arrive to this world uh, we find things you know in in our house we are born into a family you know in a part of the world and we have things around us and they they sort of point us uh, out to uh, 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 what is uh, life and you know so uh, sometimes some things they they, they present cultural uh, uh, aspects and we have mm. we have you know in a way grown accustomed not you know to, to, to forget about that you know uh, mm -hmm. sometimes the things around us they they are no longer a recipient for poetry and for culture and for spiritual uh, um, notions too you know so uh, yeah and mm. I think it goes hand in hand no pun intended with the uh, uh, with the place that the, the, the materiality of things you know how that is important because it's not only that you know it's uh, uh, it's a book that has something written on it that it is important to our family or our religion or whatever but if you know this book was made a certain way and has a certain like uh, cover and certain weight. You know, all of those aspects are, are are important for us. They have a, a, a they are a fundament to human life because of the ethical and aesthetical um, aspects they they carry and they, they present. So that's the idea. And and when I when I when I first read this uh, 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 professor's writings and I, and I took a few classes with him, you know, it, it, it all made sense to me. I, and I, you know, when, when you don't really know why, but that really resonates with you. And mm -hmm. I was already making things. and uh, yeah. yeah, I was going to ask. So that timeline wise, that was before you became like a full time craftsperson, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. 
That's so cool, though, that it's like you were already, you know, something in you all along was sort of on that wavelength. Yeah. Um, where you were ready, like you were ready for it and you were exposed to that and you're like, oh, yeah, let me get a little mm-hmm. more of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this, uh, things, things and, you know, the things are full poetry, I think. And, uh, and you do find uh, uh, a, a, a connection with the, the people that made stuff, even though you don't know them. Uh, mm-hmm. They are still uh, like uh, their presence is is embedded in you know if if I'm pretty sure if someone uh, uh, grabs one of your books or you know uh, or Amy's uh, bowls or spoons or whatever it is you know there's so much you put into into those things when you're making it and I think those things they still live there you know. They mm-hmm. they still resonate in in those uh, things and 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 I think we are sensitive to that. Sometimes we don't even realize that it. it's not a mental thing, but uh, we do we do have uh, uh, that's part of the connection. I think we feel with the makers of the the things we we encounter. Yeah, I I absolutely feel that way when. I, and I've talked about this on the podcast a few times, I think, mm. where, you know, it's like I'll be going to get my cereal in the morning and I'll be looking through my little, you know, uh, jar of spoons. I'm like, oh, who do I want to hang out with today? Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it sounds goony, but it really does uh, for me um, just bring up memories that I had with that person uh, mm. or if it's someone that you know, I haven't met in person yet. It makes me just think about the contact that I had with them, however brief, whether it was at like some little fair or even just online, it's like Mm -hmm. a physical link Mm -hmm. between Mm -hmm. two people um, Mm -hmm. or more. And so, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more though. And I really, I do know that I pour, it's like when, it's interesting though, because it's like, even though when you're making something, you do pour so much of yourself into it mm-hmm. i feel like at the end of it you're still not you didn't empty anything out from yourself it's not mm-hmm. like you're lesser after you put yourself into that thing it's like you maybe it's because and we've talked about this before too that you get to keep the process it's almost sure. like yeah. you're almost fuller after that too mm-hmm. i don't know I'm yeah. kind of just winging it here, but it's certainly no, how I, I like feel whenever I finish something. <laughs> yeah. I agree. We, we sometimes uh, say things like, oh, it's uh, uh, my little baby when, when, you, when you finish something. So I think it, <laughs> it, it, it has to do with that. You know, it's like giving birth to things is a real thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I, I'm getting this like visual image of what you're talking about. And it's like. Me giving birth? Right. No, I'm not thinking about that. Uh, No, like, like the the imagery I'm getting as you guys are talking about the process of creating something is that like you've you're you're like a cup and there's there's water pouring into the cup, but then the cup is getting full and the water that's coming out of the cup is filling up whatever little object that you're making, and that's the process. Whereas, and and it's not just. It's not just you depleting 
the liquid in the cup. You know what I mean? Does that make any sense? Like, yeah, I almost always totally. think in imagery. And so it's like, oh, beautiful. Image. It's like it's yeah. it's um, coming from somewhere else. And it's just a spillover into like tangible reality. Yeah. So it's more like it's almost like that that uh, to carry your metaphor to a farther end. <laughs> it's like it's almost like that waterfall is always going. And we're like mm. the little cups and we just have to scoot ourselves into it when we go to create <laughs> something. And then it's like just f- overflowing like crazy and yeah. creating new little cups to be over- to be overflowed. <laughs> yes. Oh, it's so it's so nice. <laughs> Fractal tiny cup metaphor. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. And, and you, t- you talked before uh, about things being inviting to the hand, right, Brian? Well, you too, Amy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, but you said something about making books and uh, that have that, you know, in them. It's uh, what I like to call the gimme factor. It's mm-hmm. like when you see something and you're like, ooh, that has <laughs> to go into my hands as quickly as possible. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, for me, that's like one of the biggest struggles of going, you know, I've, I have drawn so a lot of inspiration from taking time to walk around, you know, different museums and things like that. And whenever I, I always gravitate to like looking at like any sort of ancient art and, mm-hmm. uh, and especially when it comes to objects, many of which of course were f- super functional and I always want to grab them and I know I can't, but I just really <laughs> want to touch them. <laughs> I, I know, I know. Um, feeling, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just ask you, how did you get to? How did you get together, you two? Is it just through social media? Yeah, uh, and destiny. Wow, and destiny. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Brian, you should. That's a. That's your story. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, basically, um, I was just. Yeah, I was on Instagram, and they must have found out my little algorithm for being into <laughs> wooden spoons, and so. <laughs> Amy's spoons really stood out to me and I just wrote her a message one day and said, Hey, I really love your work. And she was like, thanks. And then we started talking kind of every once and again, messaging. And I was teaching a workshop in Maine, like maybe a a year later. Uh And Amy said, if you're ever driving up through here, you should stop by. And so, uh, Katie, my partner and I were driving up to Maine. And so we crashed at Amy's for a night and that sort of was like, that uh, I don't know if you know that White Stripes song, but it's like, I can tell that we are going to be friends. It was like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Brian, I don't know how to say this. I feel like Brian's like lightheartedness and genuine interest and concern was one of the things where I, I got to mute my headphones real quick. <laughs> was one of the things where I was like, Oh wow, like I feel like we're there's something about Brian that just feels like my brother or something. You know what I mean? Like it was just kind of like, oh, I, I do oh, know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, I feel like we're going to get along and and everything was just always so upbeat and positive and I never felt as if Brian was trying to be a predator. Well, yeah, I mean, be a predator or just sort of get something from me. It was always just like, hey, let's just like talk and hang out. And I was and I that made a big impression on me. And so we just sort of continued to 
be friends and talk occasionally. And, and now I don't know, I feel like we're pretty good friends and we've even like cried together and stuff, you know, <laughs> it's just kind of funny. <laughs> yes. Ditto. I, <laughs> I also was very grateful that we were able to work together in a somewhat professional capacity as well, which I feel <laughs> right. like a lot of friendships get ruined when you take it to something that you really depend mm-hmm. on the other person for on a regular basis. Like, but mm-hmm. I feel like we've worked out a pretty decent division of labor and stuff like that mm-hmm. for the mm-hmm. organizing this thing. So mm-hmm. yeah. Aw, I'm yes. so grateful Aww. for y'all. Yeah. <laughs> And for all of the people willing to take the time and listen to us talk about all this stuff. I know, right? <laughs> so, Tiago, who is someone inside your craft that you admire and someone outside of your craft that you admire? Uh, well, I'm not a chairmaker, so I think I can say Curtis Buchanan, someone uh-huh. from outside my craft, and someone that uh, works with wood would be Curtis Buchanan. <laughs> no, I just wanted to mention Curtis because I I, I do love him too. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, from 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 inside the craft, there are many. You know, we, we talk, I just mentioned Roy Underhill and, and Chris Schwartz, mm-hmm. and you know, many many. Uh, there there are too many to to mention really. Um, <laughs> and outside my craft, I would have to say my my wife probably and, and my parents. Oh. You know amazing people yeah and uh Aww. i'm so fortunate to have them you know near me and uh, and then and, and they help me go th- through life yeah <laughs> yeah oh that's really good yeah it's so nice to have that support yeah yeah um, it is it's it super is, important is. Yeah. so um if someone wants to see more of your work where can they find you uh, well, they, they should take a flight to Brazil or Sao Paulo and then uh, they come to the shop. If that oh, is yeah, that's cumbersome. <laughs> then, no, I'm on Instagram. It's the, I think it's the only, like, uh, I'm only active on, on Instagram. And uh, mm-hmm. the profile is called uh, Saber com as mãos. And uh, saber means uh, to know. And um, mãos is the plural for, for hand. It's, it means hands. Um, so saber com as mãos translates to uh, uh, knowing by hand. Hmm. Cool. Which is the, the name we gave to the, the, this initiative uh, we have here in Brazil, we, me and my, my, my wife, and uh, uh, that is concerned with the uh, traditional trades and uh, and one of the things we have been doing is using our vacation our personal vacations to travel around to meet the makers and and, uh, and we have done this in, in here in Brazil and also in uh, in Argentina and, and the the trip that we, we we took in last year to the US had to do with that and we are planning to do it again well, Tiago, thank you so much for joining us. It was really fun to have this kind of like, you know, more uh, two-way interview, I suppose. That <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was great. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. It was really, really pleasant. <laughs> 
Okay. So that's a wrap for 2020. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> and we are very excited to announce that um, we're kicking off 2021 with an interview from our very own uh, letterpress printer and graphic designer, Brad Vetter, who has done all of the branding mm-hmm. for the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, so to get you jazzed up for a new year and a new interview. Here's a brief clip from that interview. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so excited that I can make a living doing this thing that I love. Like I kind of pinch myself every day that I'm paying my bills, printing rock and roll posters and (laughs) designing alcohol packaging. I like when I just say your name loud. Yeah, you just scream it at me. (laughs) So please feel free to hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and review us because it helps with the show's visibility. Yeah, and thanks to all the people who have already taken the time to rate and review us and comment and tag us on Instagram. It's so helpful for spreading the word. Yeah, it's awesome. And it makes us feel good too. Um, So thanks for support on Patreon. It helps us pay for the regular website maintenance and hosting. So thanks to everyone who has contributed or is contributing monthly on Patreon. And thanks to our patrons. We have enough money to put in a t-shirt order without waiting for the minimum. So if you were thinking about buying one, you've already placed an order. um, We will ship them as soon as we get them. Also, just a special heads up. Oh, actually, before I say that, um, and those t-shirts were designed by the one and only Brad Vetter, whose interview you'll get to hear in January. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, just a heads up that we will be, uh, that, that will be our only interview for January. We're going to use the time to kind of catch up on some things and get ahead on some other things. But since it's an extra special interview with Brad, our designer slash letterpress printer slash friend, We hope you'll understand. Yes. yes. (laughs) Okay. So you can follow us on Instagram at cut the craft podcast to see images of our guesswork and to stay up to date on everything that's happening with the podcast. And if you have any interview requests or um, kind of thoughtful commentary that you'd like to email us, please feel free to do that at cut the craft podcast at gmail.com. And, oh, I guess I forgot to say, you can find us both on Instagram. I'm at Amy underscore Umble, and Brian is at BH Beidler. Yes. And uh, an extra special thank you to everyone who helps keep this show going. To you, our listeners, of course. To Brad Vetter. I've mentioned him a couple times in these credits. <laughs> to the High Divers uh, for letting us use their music. And, of course, to Luke Mitchell of the High Divers who does a lot of the mastering on the back end of things, um, to Justin Williams, who writes those little commercial tidbit thingies that introduce the next guest, <laughs> and um, again to Katie for the Photoshop access. Much appreciated. <laughs> um, but we hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Thanks. See you next time. <laughs>